Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Unions 21 podcast, your digital download of all that's good in the trade union world at this precise moment in time. With me, Simon Sapper. And me, Becky Wright. And in this episode, we take the highly unusual step for us of talking to an employer. What's that? Uh, what an, employer's, an employer's organisation. <laughs> Yeah, who are, who are rare for you to find. They are indeed. We're always going on, listeners, aren't we, about the inability of employers to get organised or have the appetite to engage. Well, here's an employers organisation that does, and it's one of the biggest employers in the world. More on that later. But first, hot news from the Union's 21 stable is that tickets for our conference in May are available now. Hooray! If you are the general public, which I'm presuming most of you are. You are now able to get tickets for the Unions 21 conference, which is entitled The Future of Collective Voice. It's on the 21st of May. It's over at the International Transport Federation's head office. They've got a really nice conference area. Uh, refreshments are provided. I know that's that's pretty much why people go to these sorts of things. And it is what we're all judged on. We're going to be launching the report for our Commission on Collective Voice for the 21st Century and um, talking through the report we're going to be hearing from our commissioners about what they think about the report, of what we should be thinking about as unions. Then we're going to be talking about the future of digital in trade unions, which is about digital transformation in unions, but also just how unions can use digital processes to be more effective in the world of work. And really pleased to have a wide group of trade unionists and non-trade unionists talking about digital transformation and what that looks like and also projects that unions are involved in around that. We've also got some nice sessions around innovation in unions. So we've got a special session section for our health unions to look at innovations in organising within the health sector. We've also got something around managing change in unions. So how do you get from point A to point B? And also uh, innovations specifically on private sector unions. And we said in our podcast with Paul Day that he'll be at conference talking about their uh CAC victories and kind of the, the learning points that he thinks that unions should have from that one. And then lastly, future of work. How do unions and policymakers respond to the future of work? We talk about AI all the time. We talk about, well, we don't talk about AI at all, all the time, but in the news, you're seeing all of these reports now around job losses, around automation, around robots and all of these sorts of things. So what should our response be? And how and how should policymakers respond and work with unions? I am left breathless at that resume of what's going to happen in London on the 21st of May at the Unions 21 conference. Be there. You can see that you get your entire hit of trade union development, organisation, inspiration, innovation in one place, in one day, with refreshments phone thrown in as well. What, what, could, what could be better? You can go to our website, www.unions21.org.uk, and get your tickets now. Early bird prices apply till when, Becky? They apply to the end of April and then we go into full ticketing mode. Good value at whatever price you pay for. <laughs> so I was like, I don't care. I don't know how much it costs, but it sounds good to me. Well, go on the website, go to events and you'll find out. <laughs> it's not expensive. No, um, considering some of the prices people pay. Anyway, yes. It, it's, excellent, it's excellent value. So uh, to the main event, if you like, for this podcast, and that's our discussion with Danny Mortimer, who's the chief executive of the NHS Employers Federation, I think it is, isn't it? We spoke to him uh, a couple of months ago about what he does, why he does it, how employers can engage with people. 
And it was it was an interesting, very interesting insight, I think, Becky. Wouldn't you yeah, agree? I, I should just say we took this unusual step of of talking to Danny because there aren't many employers, organisations, employers associations left in the UK that do any form of collective bargaining and the the kind of a social dialogue partnership arrangement I don't know whatever you want to call it the negotiating relationship between the health unions and the NHS employers is one of those few bodies that are still there albeit they're in the public sector not the private sector Danny was really gracious to to talk to us and to give an insight from his point of view I think he very much in talking to him recognizes this isn't a perfect mechanism and that I'm sure that we would find fault with some of the things that are happening and with what what kind of goes on but it's I just thought it was really thoughtful really interesting to hear from his point of view and the kind of the point of view of quote unquote the other side and just before we we cut to Danny uh, listeners to remind you that back around Christmas time 2017, we recorded a podcast with John Skews, who's the Director of Industrial Relations for the Royal College of Midwives, in which he gave his view of the same employers uh, organisation that Danny he- heads up. So in terms of a counterpoint, you can find the link to John's podcast uh, on, on this uh, on our website. And also, to be fair to Danny, he's been with our commission, giving us some really interesting ideas and feedback on some of the proposals that we've we've been making so it was really lovely to kind of talk to him um hello my name is danny mortimer i'm the chief executive of an organization called nhs employers we're the employers association for the statutory nhs in england so what's the statutory nhs in england so the nhs uh, the easiest way to think about it is that the nhs exists as firstly a funding system it pays for largely free health care for all of us but it also owns the greater part of the means of delivering that care, but not all of it. So general practice, pharmacy, dentistry, opticians aren't owned by the state. They're independent contractors. Yeah. Um, and so whilst they're funded by the NHS and we receive funding through the NHS, actually GPs in particular are independent businesses in effect. Yeah. Um, the statutory NHS is the trusts and the clinical commissioning groups that deliver the most most of what people experience at the NHS. But there are important bits of the NHS that are delivered outside the statutory sector. So I represent the bit that ultimately is owned by the state. And the um, bits that you represent, how mm-hmm. many people do they employ? 1.3 million people. I mean, that is an incredible number of people. Is it the largest employer in the country? Single it's, employer? Or it's is the it? largest employer in Europe. Wow. And the, la- or the Yeah, the largest employer in Europe. And I think it's the fourth or fifth largest employer in the world. So Walmart, wow. the Chinese Red Army, McDonald's, and the US Department of Defense are bigger than the, <laughs> the NHS. Compar- the comparators. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just mapping across in my mind what it's like to work in each of these yeah. places. So, so yeah, we're in... We're in <laughs> We're in diverse company. Um, And actually, I think this is the thing, isn't it? Brand NHS, when people think about Britain and, you know, obviously in in all the different nations, different parts of Mm. that, they think about the NHS. It is one of the things that people associate with us as a, in a positive way, I think about it. Yeah, and we're we're very lucky to have that 
kind of I mean we've just celebrated our, our 70th birthday collectively and, and I think we're very lucky to have that kind of innate affection yeah. Um, from from kind of wider uh, wider society, and we're also lucky in that we're both a national organisation, but also most importantly, we're a local organisation. Every yeah. community has some vestige of the NHS in it, even if it doesn't have a building, it will have someone who's visiting people in their homes or providing yeah. services in the community. So you know, we, we we do touch every every part of the country as well, and in some ways, that's one of the real strengths of the NHS is that it's it's local. It's local yeah. to you and I and our and our families. Um, in terms of how we organise ourselves, yeah. I mean, you know, legally, each bit of the NHS is a separate employer. Yeah. So, you know, if 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 uh, you ever get into an unfortunate position where you have a dispute with your your employer in the NHS, it's your local employer. It's not typically yeah. the national bits. But we are bound together by a single identity. We're bound together, importantly, by um, shared terms and conditions and contracts. Um, but we try and balance the national with the ability for local organisations to to devise some of their own ways of, yeah. of doing things, albeit within a, a fairly tight national framework, particularly around some set expectations around paying conditions, but other things as well. And obviously our relationship with our trade unions, we, we operate a number of contracts. Our biggest contract covers our non-medical staff and then we have um, three or four medical contracts that we run for our medical workforce. Oh interesting. But obviously so so for 75% of our workforce there's a there's a sort of standing contract that we yeah. have but actually what we do also have alongside the contractual frameworks is a another framework social partnership forum which is chaired by a minister which engages all our trade unions and engages us on behalf of employers for a national conversation about about employment matters but obviously importantly we have local arrangements mm. every single employer in the mm. NHS recognises trade unions and has some form of partnership or consultative mechanism as well. And this is why I think this is a really interesting setup because to some extent it seems to me and Danny correct me if I'm wrong but you know we've had Swedish colleagues come and tell us about the system that they have uh, in Sweden there's the Swedish part model where it's essentially the employers and the unions uh, together and they only get government involved if it's kind of completely mm. gone to pot um, and they kind of both sides feel that that's a failure if if they've had to get the government involved in anything to do with setting standards or legislation or anything like that and then I've just come back from visiting some uh, some Dutch colleagues and they have a slightly different model because the government it is involved to some mm. degree with some of their sectoral stuff. And it seems to me like the NHS is a, like a mixture of two things, those two things almost operating at the same time, or am I...? No, I think I think that's true. I mean, a, a, again, it's important, I think, to think of the NHS as having a really important local yeah. dimension. Yeah. And by and large, uh, you know, in terms of the, the collective arrangements, we have the partnership arrangements, we have most of that will, will move forward on the ground. And these are big employers, you know. Yeah, still. Pretty much in yeah. every community in the country. Yeah. The NHS collectively will be the biggest employer. Yeah. When I worked in Nottingham, I worked in the hospital trust in Nottingham. We employed fifteen thousand people. We oh, were the biggest strange. employer in Nottingham. We were bigger than Boots, bigger than yeah. Capital One, bigger than Experian, bigger than HMRC, who have got a big office in Nottingham. So you know we're a big employer. So that, you know, that the importance of that local collective relationship is really you know, can't be understated. But we have a national identity too, and yeah. there are things we 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 are able to do at scale. I think the thing that helps us with that, you know, I work on behalf of the employers. I try and 
make sure that the national helps the local. Yeah, yeah. And vice versa. But, you know, make sure that the, the, the national helps the local do what they need to do. But I think the, help, the thing that helps us do that is that actually we do have a strong tripartite relationship. It is mm. something that successive governments and successive governments of different political complexions have seen as important. The fact that we still have this kind of underpinning ethos of partnership yeah. and carrying on talking and working together, even mm. in the face of dispute and disagreement, is really important. And I, and I think the, the fact that the government are committed to that process and the various bits of the NHS, national bits of the NHS, are committed to that process um, helps. And I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I know the, our trade unions find that commitment helpful and meaningful yeah. it's strange it's a curiosity it's it's uh, it's a relief <laughs> you, could, you could say that this model persists and is now in the situation where it seems to be a virtuous cycle that that, that regenerates and, and in each turn Hopefully. supports previous because in in if you look at other sectors you see uh, uh, an agenda of localism being used to dilute union influence dilute the power of collect- collective bargaining uh, in, a, in a way that has been quite hostile actually to to really to, to work a voice, not the health health sector, but I'm thinking particularly, say, of the fire service, uh, and that's not the only example one can think of. So it's interesting that the NHS and the relationships you have with, with, with unions on behalf of the employers mm. has survived that. But you could, has it bucked the trend or has it maintained the standard? Yeah, it's an interesting debate. It, it's both and for us. Yeah. It is both and, and, and the reality of the NHS is that the majority of people who work for it work locally. A greater part of the their working environment and the quality of their working life is dictated by their managers and their teams yeah. and their colleagues locally. But clearly all of us have a role, we have a role nationally to play in terms of making sure that there are things that can be done at scale or there are things that can be resolved once nationally or mm-hmm. some conditions of success can be, can be met or we can kind of gather up the local issues and concerns and, and deal with them a collective level so it's both and i'm wondering part of the longevity might be the fact that the it's not unions going to negotiate with government on terms and conditions they're negotiating with an employers association for terms and conditions and there's that kind of mutuality that it sort of exists it's so so it's easier to kind of work with different complexions because I'm just making this up. No, no, the top no, no, no. And I, I, I understand the point, and and uh, you, know, you, you, you do touch on something. You know, some of the reality of the work that we do as an employers' association is we're also negotiating with government. Yeah, exactly. We're also trying yeah. to influence government to to achieve things yeah. on behalf of. Well, it's yeah. not just money, but we yeah, we but also you know we we want. If you look at some of the, the big things that I'm working on at the moment, we we want a migration policy that's that's well, fit for our state. Yeah, we yeah. want We've we want, on to we that, want yes. flexibility in the yeah. apprenticeship levy. Yeah, uh, we'd like some reform of our pension scheme to support to modernise it and re- support retention. Well, that's the Home Office, the Department of Education, and the Treasury. Yeah, that we need support from. So yeah, yeah, and we're advocating for those things on behalf of government. And with migration in particular, we're doing a lot of that in partnership with our trade union colleagues yeah. outside of that formal national structure I talked about but that is something that we we do do so yeah we negotiate with government too so the the three yeah. parts to it are important yeah 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 and we we need all we need all three parts to make yeah. it yeah, yeah. work yeah. you know I, I i i hope i hope if you spoke to my trade union colleagues they would say that we offer a, a very effective route into employers yeah exactly locally yeah. And, yeah. and and offer a pretty effective way of representing their collective views they clearly do the same for their members, but the government and, and 
uh, you, government in our case is a shorthand for the government and the various arms length bodies of the government that are responsible for the NHS. We've yeah. got quite a complicated government structure, but actually all three parts have to work together. Yeah, yeah. And it and it and it, it works for us. Yeah, and and that's that's actually the thing about the migration policy and Brexit and the cabin. We've talked quite a lot about the Cavendish coalition. I mean, that's a great example of that, isn't it? Because there is uh, some sh- maybe some shared points that both the unions and the employers can go to government mm. on to say, look, we we all think this is really important. It's not just the unions negotiating straight with government. It's that kind of collective. It's the employers also kind of side yes, as well. Yes, and, 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 and for, I mean, the, the Cavendish coalition, um, for people who listen that, that, that don't know about it, is a... a a group that came together immediately after the referendum result across health and social care. So it's mm. it's both the statutory NHS, it's those independent contractors I talked about earlier, but it's also the private providers of health care. Um, it's across the UK. I normally only work in England, but it's across the UK. Um, it also includes our colleagues in social care. So that's another mm. 1.25 million people who provide social care services. And then the third arm of it is trade unions and, yeah. and um, some of our trade unions mainly represent people in healthcare, but some of our trade unions importantly represent people across both health and social care yeah. nurses work in both health and social care and they don't just work in the nhs you know they, they yeah. work across all the various settings and we have you know we, we we've worked hard to identify those things we can achieve consensus around yeah both about migration policy but also about the things that we need to do ourselves domestically there are some things we can't reach consensus about and, and we respect the fact that there are differences yeah you know there are things that particularly trade union colleagues want to see that some of our employer members a bit are yeah. a bit more reluctant to commit to and that that's fine it's about focusing on the things where we can work together yeah yeah and we've got 37 members of that coalition um and um three of us act as co-chairs colleague from social care myself on behalf of the of healthcare, um and then uh, sarah gorton who's the head of health for unison and it's really important that we we have that way of working actually it, it helps keep us all kind of focused on those things that we are committed to and, and yeah. hopefully is a very visible sign to government that this is you know some of the things that we're looking for around both migration policy and as i've said also about domestic supply yeah like how do you there's get, consensus yeah, there's consensus yeah, on these things yeah, yeah. but in terms of dealing with government I mean, mm. especially our, our, our listeners will think my goodness that's that's almost an impossibility it has been you know since 2000 2010 in, in many ways clearly it, it's vital for the whole tripartite model model to work but it must have frustrations um, um y- y- yes though I, I, you know I, I can only i can only i suppose <coughs> speak as i i find i i i i, I wasn't in post before 2000 I've been in post for four years so in terms of the ministers that we've worked with uh, in terms of the, the people who chair the social partnership forum and the minister does personally chair the meeting they've all been conservative ministers it's been Dan Poulter Ben Gummer Philip Dunn Caroline Dynage and actually they've all taken the relationship seriously yeah. I think they've seen the value of the relationship uh, I think it's had influence on how they've taken forward uh, policy. It doesn't mean we've always agreed. I mean, that, you know, yeah, that, that, and that's the, the, other thing the, well, that, that's the reality yeah. of partnership is that my trade union colleagues <laughs> and I don't always agree on things, and um, we don't. They may agree with the government sometimes, and we don't agree with what they. You know, you know, there's a 
but it's about a relationship and it's about yeah. recognizing that yeah. the relationship endures again our experience of the of the politics of it the mm. party politics of it is that successive conservative ministers successive i've worked with two conservative secretaries of state they absolutely understand the value and role of trade unions they may or may not always agree with the trade unions but Mm. they respect their their role Mm. Uh, they may or may not find themselves in dispute with the trade unions and clearly we have had experience of being in dispute with one of our trade unions uh, in in that time but the relationship we've all seen the importance of the relationship yeah. continuing even while we're disagreeing with each well, that's, other. That's helpful. I mean, I remember when the, when the NICER report was published in the autumn that, that mm. Cavendish Coalition yeah, yeah, we commissioned, commissioned into, into what what are the resourcing consequences of, of Brexit. And there were right. some very stark figures in there yeah. and uh, about staff shortages and the existing staff shortages from EU nationals who have already gone home ahead of ahead of a likely Brexit uh, at the uh, at the end of March. And then and then in the reports I read there was like a response from government and it sounded like a treasury response, not a health response, even though it it, it essentially said, well, yeah. The, this is this isn't yeah we're aware there's a problem but it's not as bad as, as people have said and there are 52,000 nurses in training so everything will be all right and and I kind of think you probably have to kind of swallow uh, breathe deep and then just re-engage yeah yeah, yeah we do we, we have to keep we have to kind of keep 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 cracking on and 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 um uh, you know migration policy in particular is 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 difficult. Yeah. It's difficult for us as a country. It's difficult for all our politicians. I don't think it matters which party. Um, you know, we've we've had a sort of slightly surreal example of a you know the the, the way the the bill was dealt with even in these recent this recent days yeah, by sure. by the various parties. So so you know it it, it 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 carries a really difficult charge. Um, having said that, you know our experience over this last year is that um, doctors and nurses have effectively been removed from the the cap the migration cap so the government and it's the home office it's the prime minister it's the cabinet have have done things that have supported the nhs and other people who employ nurses in particular so we have we have had support and we do get support from time to time um so you know the 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 defensiveness of the exchange in the media one can understand but it's, it is important to say that actually by working together, and our trade unions have been an important part of, of that kind of call on the government to reform migration policy now, mm-hmm. we, have had, we have seen positive response mm-hmm. um, to that. The thing that the Cavendish Coalition is, is, is very focused on is, is the longer term. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's, not, it's not arguing against Brexit. Yeah, but, no, it's dealing with the reality. It's dealing. It's dealing with. It's dealing with whatever structure needs to be in place yeah. after yeah. we leave. And and our argument there is that we think we think there's a better structure than the one that they're they're proposing. Um, and clearly, we're not alone as a sector <laughs> in making that that argument. And I think you know uh, the TUC and the CBI have been very clear about what yeah, they think yeah. jointly. I think there's been real power in the Director General and the General Secretary of the TUC kind of making common cause on these things as well. Yeah, I mean and, that's Brexit you know, has really yeah. kind of brought people together yeah. in some ways yeah. and taught everybody about Oh yeah, yeah. And, but <laughs> it's, it's reshaped the political landscape. I it think has. That's, that's a good way to say it. So, but but yeah. there are other yeah, examples. Yeah. As well. I'm, I'm, I'm making the point that there are other examples outside health and exactly. social yeah, care. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Where yeah. actually trade union organisations and employers organisations actually yeah. Have real common ground. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's real power in that. Yeah. There's real I power in that. So. And I'm sure there are times when the TUC and the CBI don't disagree with each yeah, other. Yeah. But there are actually there are some things around 
uh, employment and the kind of model that we have of managing migration, yeah. I think there's a degree of consensus actually. Yeah. I mean, our, our view, I can't speak. Our, our, you know, our, our view generally would always always be, yeah, absolutely. There is a common challenge. There, there, there is an equal interest of employers and and employees and, and, work, and workers in getting arrangements that work in these very difficult and, and unprecedented yeah. circumstances. But so often, and what makes the Cavendish Coalition so so appealing and impressive and, and important is, is that so, so often, for whatever reason. Um, employers do not seek to engage with with unions, or employers are not well enough organised amongst themselves to effectively en- yeah, en- I would en- go, engage with trade unions. We don't trade talk unions. enough. I mean, you know, I've said this a lot. I still think we ha- don't talk enough. Not about whether you, employers want to engage with unions or not. I think you've got the same issue for employers that you have for workers, which is that they don't always know what unions really are. And yeah, you're giving me a wry smile. And I would agree with you. Like then, also some employers just don't want unions in their workplace. I would agree with that as well. But there is also that thing of the role of the employers' organisations in all of this as well to support employers and to kind of create frameworks. And this kind of leads me, I suppose, to a a bit of a question with my commission hat on, Danny, because the Mm. other thing, of course, that uh, listeners may not know is that Danny has been the kind of employer side for our commission on Collective Voice and has been giving us some really interesting insight uh, into the employer side in, in all of this, partly because it's a bit, well, where are the employers uh, oh. associations that we, and organisations that we can engage with about this? What do you think uh, makes the system that you've got in health work um, that would be applicable to other industries and other areas? Because you're the biggest employer, you've, as you said, you're the biggest employer in the UK. So that means like your industrial strategy has a huge, you know, the industrial strategy of health has a mm. huge knock on into the wider industrial strategy of the United Kingdom. And it's a little bit like, you know, where you guys lead, it's, a, it's you know, others could follow sort of thing. Um, and we are, you know, we're, we're 10% of the GDP of the country. Yeah, don't forget that. Uh, as well. In terms of people yeah, go we on employ and, and we, and we <laughs> you know, and we, and we touch every bit. We are a truly national organisation yeah. in that we touch every bit of the country. I guess there are, there are a couple of important important differences i mean the first is that we we do have partly because we're part of the public sector mm. partly because we're so material to the public purse you know we're the biggest in terms of what the treasury spends the yeah. nhs is the biggest call on that now so you know there are sound political and economic reasons why you want particularly for pay to kind of coordinate for, to coordinate us, for mm. us to, mm-hmm. to kind of move as a as a block wherever possible we have the advantage of actually 14 years ago the government decided to establish an employers association for the NHS and um, uh, you know we, we we still enjoy that support from them and that's we're given an independence a degree of independence but but actually we are you know we, we're here because the NHS system the Department of Health see value in us being here so there, there's an advantage there which is built in and we have an advantage as well that that actually um, trade unions have always been part of the fabric of the the NHS. Yeah. We have a very diverse set of trade unions, so which other sectors? Yeah, all don't those. Yeah, have. Yeah. I, I I guess the the thing I would say is that it is possible to have local and national at the same time. It's it's mm. possible to respect the ability of people to do things locally. Mm. 
and often that's the stuff that really makes a difference. It's the quality of your working environment, the quality of your relationship with your manager yeah. and your employer. Yeah, that's your everyday experience. That's your everyday experience, mm-hmm. and that, that, that's the stuff that often makes or breaks organisations and employee experience, actually. But it's also possible to say, and actually there are things we can work together on, and where does that go into the employment field? That may not be pay, actually. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes people think, well, the only, the only reason you can work together on these things is to look at pay, and clearly for sectors that um, actually locally are competing against each other why would you why would you you know you're never going to have national terms and conditions but this isn't about having national terms and conditions it's about saying there are things particularly things that the government does that impact upon everybody yeah and working together to respond to those things actually has more influence and actually working together on those things with trade unions has even more influence and it you've got to work at that you've got yeah. to find the areas of common ground you've got to respect mm. the differences yeah but i think that's the thing we've we've hopefully shown with the cavendish coalition is that it's possible to do that mm. across yeah. 37 different organizations it's possible yeah. to do yeah. that yeah. 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 on behalf of a you know a sector that health and social care employs 2.6 million mm. people and social care is absolutely the archetypal private model yeah. It's small. It's it's a combination of big businesses and it's lots of small, local businesses. Yeah. But they bind together to represent their shared interests, yeah. and one of their shared interests is employment policy. They're not they're not able to have shared terms and conditions or anything like that. That's not what this is about. It's about saying, well, so it's not a negotiation. There's an assumption that national work with trade unions is automatically a negotiation it's a different type of conversation and my observation is that's what the cbi and the tuc have been doing of late on some shared shared areas of interest it's what we've been doing of late and so uh, you know and i'd encourage others to think about actually there will be things where there is both on the employer's side Mm. probably most importantly on the employer's side there's a shared set of interests you can respect the differences you can respect competition you can respect the fact that the next day you're going to be trying to take customers off each other and all that kind of stuff but actually we all want apprenticeship policy to work yeah yeah, we want the levy to be used properly as employers and actually funnily enough so do our trade unions yeah yeah Uh, yeah. we all want a migration policy that's sensible for our sector and funnily enough so do our trade unions yeah Uh, we want sensible pension schemes and management of pension schemes and taxation funnily enough so do our trade unions and of course there will then be differences you know yes some trade unions want um, the kind of protections that are in the social chapter to go further and faster and deeper and some employers will struggle with that and that's fine you respect the fact that you can disagree on that and agree on other stuff too mm-hmm. um, and we've just got to build up and again, it is that weird point, it's the point Simon made. See, weirdly, Brexit might be getting more sectors into those kind of areas where they do make common cause. Because yeah, we all want we all want there to be a deal. Yeah. I think that probably unites most employers and most, most trade unions. Uh, we all want there to be a plan that yeah. unites most employers and yeah. most trade unions. And we yeah. all want some sensible settlement after we leave yeah. the European Union. Yeah, we all and want that a sense of security, don't we? we? Yeah, we all, yeah, it's yeah. about securing our you know, mm-hmm, jobs, livelihoods, mm-hmm. services for us, services to our patients and clients. Other people will have other metrics that they apply. But it's also about saying there is power in shared voice yeah. as a sector, as a, you, 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 whether it's the retail consortium yeah, or the motor yeah, yeah. manufacturers you, you, you're and traders. As a, you're talking as a sector, both sides yeah. to government. And it's, and and it's just of, about yeah. saying, well, actually, the trade unions can add something to that 
Uh, one of the things that's been going through my mind, uh, which was sort of brought home by a taxi ride yesterday, was most of us are in the world of work. You know, we're at work at some point and we share an office space or we or we share, or we go see people, whatever your kind of job is. So work's really important. And how we move from where we are now as a country, whether we've got un- uncertainty or not, the world of work is going to be really important to almost knitting us back together again maybe where there are sort of divisions and so therefore this kind of role between employers and unions and kind of helping to maybe mitigate for some of the potential effects but but also just kind of helping to bring everybody back together might be quite important it was it just occurred to me the other day I was just thinking you know it's it's been most so what's the role of work in yeah solving all of the world's problems and I guess a different reflection I mean the thing I observe in the work that you guys are doing you just want to do is is trying to identify a new paradigm for trade unions um and the risk is in this country that uh, we were talking about this before we started recording yeah. that the, the the sort of the the narrative of the 70s and 80s still dominates a lot of our perception and understanding of relationships between employers and trade unions mm. well the 70s and 80s was a long time ago and and the reality of work has changed fairly substantially since then, particularly because the you know, rise of the service sector decline of manufacturing, and actually work is changing profoundly because of the impact of technology. And, yeah, yeah. and so actually there is a sort of a a, a shared agenda. Again, yeah. there are differences of opinion. Yeah, yeah. And the risk is that the narrative one hears about trade unions, that the predominant narrative is conflict. Mm. Whereas actually our reality it's not that we don't have conflict and it's not that we don't as employers get things wrong I'm mm. not, you know, pretending we're perfect in this but actually the predominant narrative is of dialogue it's of regular dialogue it's about staying in the room it's about disagreeing and working through the disagreements it's about agreeing to disagree sometimes but that is the predominant reality for us and that's probably the predominant reality for most employers yeah. albeit locally it's just where are the opportunities sometimes to kind of scale that conversation up further up and sometimes those opportunities won't exist um is one of the risks for us is that we we come up with national solutions to problems that don't need national solutions and it's sometimes the best way of solving some of these things is in these big employers who employ lots of people and the ability of the national to influence the quality of someone's day-to-day working life yeah is mediated by the people who are responsible for that day-to-day working life and, and you kind of have to respect that sometimes yeah so sometimes there isn't value in you know you can't assume a national dialogue with government employers and trade unions is the solution to every problem it's probably not the solution to most problems, but it can it can help with some of them. Yeah. And, and and it's just trying to get that right. Balance, and that's right. a constant to and fro. Yeah. If you spoke mm. to my trade union colleagues, it's one of the constant kind of to's and fro's. Is you know I I, I I'm try I try to be mindful of where our boundaries are. Yeah. And I do try to be mindful of of actually you know, if there's an issue there, you need to resolve it there. It's not it's not, not for, for us. It, yeah, it's not, not for, for us to intervene. Yeah, this is not some place where we can grass each other up. It's it's that's not that's not our job yeah well that that description of how communication collaboration mutual support getting the balance right between local and national between the social partners in the largest employer in the country as we get more and more into the 21st century is a case study of of i think that that i think a lot of people would need to look to i'm fond of a when we talk about opportunities i'm fond of a uh, of a saying that opportunity visits the prepared mind people say well yeah we're in the boy scouts where it's not boy scouts it's confucius i think but but i think we need to be we need to be aware and alive to the possibilities and the imperative of finding a new paradigm
Yeah. Yeah, we so. do. And, 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 you know, for us, you know, be, be clear, part of the, uh, you know, the, there are things that are built into the way we work, that are designed almost into the way we work because they're, they're, they're in the interests of the government in part. But also we've got some real problems we've got to address. Mm. Um, you know, we are the biggest employer in the country. Uh, we've got to compete for people. Yeah. We want people to want to choose to work for us, to choose to have careers with us. And we need the best and most talented people to, to do that. I think it's fair to, to say at times we've been a bit passive in that. Mm-hmm. We've got to up our game. We know we face some serious challenges in terms of some of our staff experience. In particular, we, we see a real... Um, and maybe lots of employers see this, the difference is we've we've measured it and we're very open about the problem. We see a much poorer experience for our black and ethnic minority staff compared to our white staff, much poorer, everywhere. Some of the solutions to that uh, will lie in a shared endeavour between us and our trade unions. If we're offering a poorer experience to a substantial proportion of our workforce, we need to be guided by representatives of our workforce uh, in terms of what to do about that. And actually... The representatives of our workforce need to make sure that they're reflecting what everybody thinks what everybody about. thinks mm. and, and reflecting that diversity uh, because they've probably faced some of them will face the same challenge that we faced as employers again there's a value of partnership and engagement with staff there's a challenge for trade unions as well in this in that the reason trade unions exist is that we need representatives we need rep- you know, we need to bound, bond together and representatives achieve things on behalf of the collective and sometimes it's safer to have a trade union doing that to them for individuals to do it but actually there's also power in the individuals being able to articulate their experience and their need and that's particularly true in terms of the challenge we face with other ethnic minority colleagues mm. you know, sometimes actually trade unions trade unions absolutely have to mediate and collectivize and articulate the voice on behalf of people but also sometimes they have to then facilitate convene yeah. the members the staff to actually speak yes directly yeah, speak for and, and 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 that convening bringing members together that's not a that's not a loss of power and a loss of voice that's a that's an expression of power and expression of voice and and i think we you know we, we've still got some work to do mm. um collectively in in that in that regard again yeah. it, it, it's a both and thing yeah yeah you can i like you the can twin, have, twin track yeah it's a twin track well you can have you can have yeah. strong trade unions and you can have strong staff engagement you yeah. want employers to be able to speak directly to their to their staff uh, and to hear in particular directly from their people about their experience uh, and about what can be done better but having that dialogue doesn't negate or minimize the power of trade unions it's against both and mm. hopefully yeah. they reinforce each other actually. absolutely yeah, but um, and, and and sometimes we we forget that actually that direct dialogue with staff needs to be trade unions need to be cited of that yeah and sometimes we forget that by talking to trade unions we also sometimes yeah need you to kind, kind of, of you, yeah okay both and wow we could go on and on there we yeah. go <laughs> but I, I've detained <laughs> but you now. Yeah, yeah, got... <laughs> Danny thank you so much for spending time with us and being so so candid and and descriptive uh, in, in terms of in terms of how it works and 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 why it's important and what we aspire to anyway and what yeah to, yeah what true. we aspire to so you know. thank you so very always, much, always a work in progress yes always a work i love it <laughs> thank you very much indeed it's a pleasure well listeners uh we did say it was the employer's perspective but I've, I've got to say becky that i mean that was very candid and very lucid but I, it it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable to be honest because mm-hmm. because 
yes, it's good that there's a, there's an employers organisation with the capacity and the willingness to talk, especially when you're thinking it's 1.3 million people yeah, that, yeah. that are that are employed. But when you think about the two tier workforce debate in the NHS, yeah. you know, with, yeah. with so many people contracted out and on on right. national minimum wage levels of pay, yeah. you think about the funding crisis in the, in, in the NHS. Those things sit outside the parameters that that we've just been exploring and. Well, I, I suppose as Danny himself recognises, it's not perfect, and there's lots more to be to be done. Yeah, uh, but, I think it would. We we can't have this without acknowledging that the system isn't perfect. That there are some things going on which are a bit shady from our point of view. A bit shady, probably not. Yet, I mean, put in any other words that you want there. But I, yeah, but I will kind of go back, and I probably get a bit of blowback on this one. But I think it's just good to hear from their point of view, because then it informs how we can take some of these discussions. And at the end of the day, I'm going to go back to strategic choice theory because, you know, I love it. And it is the thing that holds this podcast. (laughs) It's not the thing that holds this podcast together, but it's the thing we absolutely adore. And it's, you know, fundamentally our capacity is the thing that we need to concentrate on and build. And it's harder if we've got employers who are not who don't want to engage with unions and don't see the value of unions and kind of and we've got public policy and legislation that doesn't help us to do that. But ultimately we do need to concentrate on building our capacity. And that yeah. is something yeah. that's easier said than done. You yeah, know, I, mean, I can say this, but I'm not for in the health unions and I'm I'm not doing that anymore, but it still needs to be said. I think that's right, because I think there's there's a risk, isn't there, that people, us included sometimes, I guess, take a systems approach. If there's a system that provides, encourages, nurtures, supports collective bargaining, mm-hmm. uh, for, for example, that's almost a magic bullet. That's that's going to do it, and it's not because sure. because you can have all the systems in in the world, but actually, if you've got, if, I, I liken it to to say, you know, you can build a house, you know, and that's that's the systems. But you build a house; it can be a fantastic house, but if there's no one to live in it, if the, you know, if it doesn't provide a roof over everyone's head, then then it's a very limited value. If you like, the system is the house, but yeah. you need organisation and membership and capacity in the workplace on the ground to make the most of that to make it work. Yeah. Uh, at all and as you say it's uh, it's easier to say than, than than do but listeners i hope you found that that interesting if you're working in health if you're working from the health unions if you're a health union rep we'd love your views about yeah. your experience of dealing with the nhs employers you can email us at info at unions21.org.uk and speaking of people emailing us in we've had yet another really interesting bit of feedback uh, from our last podcast, yeah. From so Derek Derek Blackadder from from Canada uh, emailed us about our podcast on derecognition and re-recognition and, and the fact that in Britain you can't you can't derecognize the union and get recognition for for a different union all in the same ballot, but you can in Canada. He tells yeah. us, and it's it's really interesting. The Canadian system of of certification and decertification, as it's called over there, seems to be more like a more like a cheapy transfer. You know, when you have a cheapy transfer, normally the only yeah. thing that changes is the name of the employer. Yeah. Well, it, in many Canadian provinces, because this is a, a fundamentally a provincial level thing, the only thing that changes is the name of the union. And, and the rationale for that is actually the union members get a continuity of service. And the fact that there may be a certification, recertification, decertification scenario 
you know, doesn't expose the workers to any bad action or, or mischievous action by the employer. Really, a really interesting view. So, Derek, thank you so much uh, for sharing that with us. And yeah, I really like your, your yeah. warm words about the podcast. Yeah, but it was just super interesting to hear that point, And it did make me think, could we have some policy changes around union recognition, which allowed de-recognition? and recognition to happen in the same ballot so i mean it, the costs <laughs> that everybody would save by doing that would be really good and move, moving on from certification decertification recertification recognition de-recognition call it what you will we all know what what it means in our next episode of the unions 21 podcast we're going to be returning to the theme of industrial strategy what is it what makes it work what does it need to contain to be successful and we'll be delighted to have as our guest the shadow minister of state with responsibility for industrial strategy, Chi Onwura, uh, who was kind enough to speak to us at Westminster just very recently. Yes, she took time out of the Brexit hullabaloo to talk to us, and it was really nice to have something other than Brexit to talk about. So thank you very much, Chi. So that's about it for, the, for this episode. It's been great to have your company as ever. We would love to hear your views on what we've been talking about on this or any of our podcasts. You can email us at info at unions21.org.uk. You can tweet us at unions21. You can rate us with your podcast provider. Help us to beat the algorithms and show people what trade unions are up to on a national and global level. Go to your podcast provider. Uh, give us a really nice rating if you'd be so kind. Maybe a little review as well, which... You know, we'll, we'll take, but a nice one would be really good. We only get nice reviews. We do. Well, yeah. So far. <laughs> <laughs> but if you listen, please rate us. Please get involved. Please tell us who you would like us to talk to. Is there somebody who you've come across that's really interesting or that you are interested in yourself? Let us know at info at unions21.org.uk. So until the next time. Thanks once again for listening and goodbye. Goodbye. The Unions 21 podcast was presented by Becky Wright and Simon Sapper. It was a Makes You Think production.